Firing someone is never easy. It is the worst part of managing people, and I don't think it should ever get easy, in fact. In today's episode, we're going to give you the guide on how to do the thing you hope you never have to do. Today, we're gonna learn how to fire someone. Welcome back to The Bootstrapper Show, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs scale their business with remote teams. I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, here with my co-founder of Anaquim, Jeremy Aspen, and we've helped hundreds of companies with highly skilled virtual assistants. And today's Bootstrappers, we're gonna talk about how to fire someone. And this actually came about from a listener who was curious about this, so that's why we're talking about it, because firing someone is never easy. Well, yeah, and specifically, there are a couple of little differences when you're uh, working in a remote environment. So we can get we'll go ahead and talk about some of those things today. Absolutely. Um, but the good news is if you're working with Anaquim uh, and virtual assistants or any of our services, you don't have to fire anybody. So I just Yay. want to point that one out. We will do it for you, and we do it in a very kind and respectful and professional way. Um, but if you are working with someone uh, who's who's not a remote professional or in-person or a local team, here are some tips that I found over the years. So the first thing that I would recommend is being prepared on the front end. So one of the things is the person that you talk to, once they know that they're being fired, they're not listening to like anything that you're saying. They're just in shock. Well, hopefully they're not in total shock, but right. you know their life just changed dramatically. And so you want to anticipate the possibility that they're not listening to the words that you're saying. And so you want to have everything written down really clearly on what you're going to do, what your expectations that they do are, and how things are going to proceed regarding their benefits, their pay. If you have a severance agreement that you've written up with an attorney, you know, what signing that means and how much money that their severance would be if they do sign that and what they do with their technology, if they have technology at home, where you want them to bring it, when you want it to be brought to the, to, uh, the office or wherever you have them bring it. Um, and you just want to clearly think through all of those to-do items for wrapping up the relationship before you sit down and talk to them. Um, because the more professional it is, it also is more respectful. Would you agree with that, Jeremy? Uh, yeah. And as part of the formal uh, firing process, having, the, have, having a document that you can look at and, and check the boxes is super important, uh, just so you don't miss any of those steps. Like you should have a pre-meeting checklist, a during-meeting checklist, and an after-meeting checklist. Because HRs, are, I'm sorry, firings are, they're just, they're terrible. Oh, they're terrible. And if you goof it up, it's, you know, I always think of it as like making a suffering animal, you know, suffer more because you're inept at, putting, you know, killing it. Um, so having, uh, being respectful enough to have something already pre-planned and kind of an easy, as easy an experience as possible for your the person you're letting go is, I think, I think morally and ethically a must. Mm -hmm. And so with that being organized, if you're firing some, like we live in a at will state or work, what, what do they call it? A work at will? Uh, yeah, work. No. Yeah, at will. At will. Yeah. Uh, state. So you can technically fire anybody for any reason. 
Um, but they can also sue you for anything. It is America. You can sue anybody for anything. And so um, I always tell people, if you're going to fire someone, you want to have your I's dotted, your T's crossed in the United States, really in any country, but specifically here. And that means that you're very clear if you're doing a performance improvement plan on what their infractions are at the company, what they have to do to keep their job, and what the time frame is that they have to do those things. And both people have to sign it. And you have to be extremely clear about this being like a very big problem because you're not really placating the person that you're working with. You're placating any attorney that they go to after they get let go. And so the more documentation that you have, the more um, clear you've been about the expectation, the more an employment attorney is not going to find your case interesting or worth their time. Yeah, and it also doubles as um, a very, uh, very, and maybe the only way to protect yourself from um, suits that that come from equal house, um, not equal housing, but equal, equal employment. Um, so because by having, and we should preface, uh, we should mention that before all of this, you should have already done a performance improvement plan. Now people whine about this that it's difficult, um, and then it doesn't feel very natural, <clears throat> and but the consequences are enormous for not doing it financially. Um, of course, stress wise, if you get sued, well, yeah. And you just like, so the logic that you have to take into hiring when you hire employees is that, um, they do in fact deserve to know when things aren't going well. And the only thing you're doing with this performance improvement plan is writing it down and making absolutely certain that there is a transfer of information from your brain to them so that they know what the expectations are, have an opportunity to meet those expectations, and when and if they don't meet those expectations, the next step of the performance improvement plan kicks in, which is a second warning, for instance, or maybe it's the third warning, or maybe it's finally reached the moment where we have to part ways. But having that um, structure, that written structure in place protects you from all sorts of legal issues, especially the one of um, uh, like like uh, women is one or any minority. If um, the protected classes. Any protected classes. Veterans are protected classes. Yeah. And, and really everybody falls into a protected class. Except white men. Well, not if you're a veteran. And not if you're Or old. if you're disabled. Yeah. Or so, you age or you're a parent. I mean, literally just, just, think everybody's a protected class yeah. and if you operate that way um number one i think it's respectful i don't know you, people are very optimistic i've learned this over the years that you can tell them you're great here's what you need to work on but you're great and they will only hear you're great and so they will be surprised when you fire them so the pip makes sure that they're not being overly optimistic and they're living in reality and they know what's going to happen if they can't perform um, and it's good on a number of fronts. Yeah, and one of the other things that a PIP does, and I don't know that you could hang your hat on this for it always being true, but when there is a written warning uh, or a PIP that's been initiated, it does oftentimes trigger people to start looking for another job, which if that's what you're kind of looking for anyway, 
That's a very appropriate way of doing it. They have work in the meantime. You've set your expectations. If they see that those expectations are out of reach for them, they've already started looking for a job and they're probably going to uh, um, step aside anyway. And that's the best case scenario. And that's a best case scenario. It's Everybody's happy because it really sucks firing people. Um, I hate doing it, um, but you know the I always think of it as the whole of the company, the people that are really pulling for the company to do well, your best employees really deserve to work with other A players and in a non-toxic work environment with um, people who are competent and if and the business also has to make money. So if we're falling on hard times and the business isn't doing well, then that t puts everybody's job in jeopardy. So it's super important that the business is healthy in all the ways. And if that requires firing somebody, that's why a lot of people don't want to be leaders because we have to be the ones to make the really hard choices when rubber hits the road. And sometimes it requires firing people. So um, the, another thing is not to beat around the bush. So whenever these meetings occur, like I'm going to fire you meeting and I know I'm going walking into this meeting knowing this is what's going to happen. Uh, I don't waste a lot of time on the, the niceties that most meetings start with. I just go straight for like, because they'll be like, hey, how are you doing? And I always just say, I'm not doing very well. The purpose of this meeting is a hard one. Um, today is your last day working at this company. I mean, I just go straight in. I don't know if that's typical. Is that what you do? Yeah, and I actually heard some people talking about that, that that's having the niceties and stuff like that. They're already super nervous more than likely. Be like, hey, how have you been? But look, bad day. Mm -hmm. I'm just making it clear. This is a bad day for you. It's a bad day for me. And then go through the steps. Another thing, just word-wise, like people will beg for their jobs, especially in person. Uh, and so I usually walk to the door and I just say, like after things have been signed and everything, it's clear what's going on. When I'm done with this conversation, I just say the decision's already been made. Yeah. And then walk them to the door and show them like, this is your moment to leave. And I just there's just not a lot of point in having a bunch of extraneous conversation at the end uh, when people are getting fired or, and, and if, in this case, this guy was like drinking on the job and doing ridiculous things and they were all documented and it was just, there was nothing, there was nothing else to be said about that. And in person, but also remotely, it's also a very good idea to have, I at least conceptually think of it as a witness. Now, sometimes that witness can be a security officer. Uh, uh, it can also be an HR manager or somebody in the HR department to be there to help make sure that um, everything's followed, all the steps are taken, but also so that it doesn't become a he said, she said mm -hmm. during any sort of litigation that might come of it. So importantly, make sure you've got people there to help. Um, don't, I, I don't, when I was coming up in business, we weren't allowed to be in a room, one male, one female. I suppose now it's, I don't know, if, but no room at all for there to be a misinterpretation or somebody to ever make some sort of accusation where the only defense is, huh, uh, 
having witnesses, somebody there that knows what they're doing, especially is way better. I agree with that sentiment 100%. Another thing, so if you're going to be remote, because we've had some people, domestic employees, but our company mostly is remote. And so we've done these over Zoom as well. Um, and usually if you're going to do a meeting, I usually send the invite if it's Zoom pretty much last minute. I don't like people stressing out for a full day about a meeting. I'd rather have the meeting come up last minute, have somebody call them, hey, can you get on this meeting really fast? So they don't have time to stress for a day, lose a night of sleep. And um, then while we're having the meeting, I have somebody in the background turning off their access to all of their computer systems. So, so sometimes it's easier if you wanna do that first thing in the morning at eight o'clock. So you turn everything off in the morning and then before they get uh, logged on to their computer, everything is, uh, is cut off. And, and that can be easier just logistically or right after lunch or at the end of the day are typically the times. But getting that, those te the technology systems turned off, it sounds crappy, like you don't trust people, but it's really for everyone's protection because even a good employee can make a dumb mistake in an emotional moment and do something that is bad, technological, technologically speaking. So turning that off really just helps everybody out. And sometimes people ask, okay, what about the two week notice? Because we as employers always appreciate when someone gives two weeks notice. Um, when it comes to letting somebody go, there's, I mean, I'm of the school of thought to think that there's not another two weeks that you're gonna be with us because I mean, there's all sorts of reasons for there not to be. Um, so I would just absolutely make certain that well, the two-week note, I think you have to pay them for mm -hmm. two weeks at the very least. Like, that's kind of the severance and then what else. But two weeks is your version of, you know, we're not going to leave you at hanging out to dry immediately. We're going to pay you for two weeks while you look for another job. Mm -hmm. But uh, don't, don't worry. You're not working here because I turned all your stuff off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. And, so of course, it, just to be clear, you turn off all the access, which means turn stuff off. All the credentials, everything that they have. If it's if it's an accounting person, then they no longer have access to the websites, the banking websites, credit card websites. If it's somebody in HR, they no longer have access to the emails to the people that they could send an email to. Sales, make sure they don't have access to the CRM so that the emails can't be sent out to. Hey, I'm leaving the company. Love to see you at my next gig, which is you know a competitor, something like that. Just good policy. Shut things down so that there's no access to any information or operations after the meeting. So it, it is a crappy thing. Uh, I don't know if there's, it's a crappy thing. There's no way around it, but as leaders, that's our job is to be the one to, to make, to, to have these meetings, to do this hard thing. Oh, and make sure the team is okay afterwards. So yeah. the team, isn't thinking like you. If you are the leader, you're thinking differently than them. This is their friend. This is their colleague. This is someone they may have loved and respected. Uh, and it's really hard on a team when someone gets let go. So it is important to have a debrief meeting with your remaining team on the reason, you know, you don't want to go too into detail, but, you know, there were some performance issues. And so, you know, we had to let this person go or, you know, the 
role has been switched. We're not rehiring this position. This position has been eliminated. Whatever the reason is, but um, let people have their feelings and you know talk to them about your expectations moving forward. And it is important to manage the communication for the rest of the team after you fire someone. And you'll be surprised to find out after a couple of weeks at almost the relief that their team has in that person not being there. Because the reason that person's not there is because they were more than likely not just a burden on the company, but on their peers. So when that person is removed and the drama is gone or the ineptitude or the laziness is no longer part of the uh, overall system, there's usually some sort of appreciation like, wow, okay, that makes sense. And I think that's why over the years of being in business, noticing that moment and getting really comfortable with, hey, I think this person is toxic or this isn't working out. And I'm more clear on that more quickly than I used to be. And um, man, I've never had a like a like a true firing where someone did something wrong or where the their behavior was was bad, and I was like on the fence where I ended up firing them, where I was like super sad about it. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, so now, if you are working with like for instance Aniquim, or you're working with another uh, virtual assistant company, work with them. Make sure that. <laughs> Don't just say, hey, we want to let go of this person because that's not going to resolve the issue. Like, I mean, there's obviously legal issues. There's, there's, most contracts are going to make sure that if there are any expenses or legal issues that are born from just letting somebody go, then it's probably going to be, fall back on you as the person who initiated an improper firing. So you want to work with the, the virtual assistant remote professional company to make sure that there has been a, a performance improvement plan that they haven't kept up their expectations and that the next step is clear to everybody that this, it is now time for this person to go. If you're letting somebody go and they're surprised, you failed as a leader. It is that cut and dry. Nobody's going to be surprised if they've had three attempts or three opportunities to fix and resolve. It, in, and in, if it is something that requires firing right away, Nobody's going to be surprised that they got fired for stealing because that's allowed. You, nobody's surprised. Oh, I got caught stealing. Oh, oh my God. I can't believe they're firing me. So working with the uh, company that you work with for remote work is essential. It's essential because it's not going to save any money. You're not going to skip all the, you'll skip most of the headache because that's mostly done by that company. But being a part of making the employee better or trying to make the employee better is really big and that sometimes it pays off. And uh, it always make I'm term in terms of keeping them on and get helping them learn what it is that they need to do, um, but also just on the expense side. Don't just send an email like fire this person. No, do it right. If you want to avoid firing someone, the first step is to write a detailed job description before you even hire them. Download our job description template for free now. The link is in the show notes. <laughs>